Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is so good to see you on this uh, January morning. I am Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just delighted, absolutely delighted to spend time with you. If you're joining us here as part of our online community, welcome to you. We know that a number of you tune in, and part of why you do so is because you want to get a feel for our church family. And uh, what's been fun is those of you who do that for quite a while, and then you come here on a uh, Sunday, and uh, it's great to see you in person as well. So whether you're online or right here, welcome, welcome, welcome. What a joy, what a privilege for all of us to connect here uh, together. So uh, I uh, want to dive right in here to a brand new series called A Big Conversation. And uh, as we do so, I want to uh, highlight for you a word given by uh, a writer, an author named Lydia Longoria. You'll see it on the screen in front of you. Here's what it says. Uh, it says, it says, the most meaningful conversations are the ones that you don't expect to have. The most meaningful conversations are the ones that you don't expect to have. And what we want to do here is have a meaningful conversation to set that up, though, let me ask you to pray with me right now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of spending time in your word. And thank you that you want to give us a word, that you want to speak to us. Thank you for your love for us. You love every woman and man, every girl and boy listening to my voice. You love him or her so deeply and even as we are spending time in your word here right now, may that love just permeate this place, this space, our hearts, our words, your word. May we receive it. Oh God, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus and all God's people said, amen. All right, as we said here, the most meaningful conversations are the ones that we don't expect to have. Now, there are all kinds of conversations taking place out in the public square right now. Uh, so, for example, here's one. Harry and Meghan. Everybody paying attention to that? Uh, the palace. I wonder what they're thinking. Uh, here's another one. All right. Uh, Damar Hamlin. Can we just give it up to God for sparing this man's life? I mean, what a... What a, uh, an emotionally charged week just watching. I'm sure we're all just glued, glued to what's going on with this, this uh, NFL player. Uh, then there's, how's this one? Kevin McCarthy and the House of Representatives. My goodness, is that a conversation or a farce? I'm not real sure which, all right? And, and uh, then, let's see here, uh, Elon Musk and Twitter and Tesla and SpaceX or or uh, perhaps most important among all of those is how far will the Vikings go here in the playoffs right now, right? Okay. Uh, so the, we, we're used to big conversations, and many of us wake up every single morning, and we pull out our phones, and we scroll through, or what my dear Krista calls doom scrolling. We scroll through, and we try to get the latest update on the latest thing to see what's going on. But there is a conversation that we ought to have that is bigger than all of that. And it's yet one that we don't really expect. And this conversation is that we, who have been so radically changed by Jesus, 
be a people who live that out generously and gregariously. Generously and gregariously, filled with joy and gratitude. We need to be those kind of people, especially in a world that is filled with so much tension and so much angst. Ah, but it's a conversation that we don't expect, and it's a conversation that makes us uncomfortable. We don't expect it, and here are some reasons we don't expect it. I'll give you three reasons we don't expect this conversation. Again, you'll, you'll see those in front of you. We don't expect it because churches, churches seem to spend more time casting stones at others than casting vision for human flourishing. Did you hear that? Churches spend more time casting stones at others than we do casting vision for human flourishing. Another reason we don't expect this kind of conversation is because, is because we are so drawn to the trivial that we forget the eternal. And I'm telling you straight up, I am number one culprit in that category it is crazy to me the time that I sit down in my chair at home in front of the fireplace and I'm ready to just go there with Jesus and have conversation with him and pray and praise. And next thing I know, I realize I have dawdled 20 minutes just looking at my, am I alone in that? Anybody else do that kind of thing? Please somebody raise their hand because I, yeah, okay, good. I'm at least in good company, right? All right, we're, we're so uh, distracted by the trivial, we forget the eternal. And then, and then uh, another, another reason that we uh, don't expect this conversation is that our fast pace keeps us from healthy reflection. We just go so fast, we don't know how to stop and just reflect and think about what God might be doing. But God is doing something. God is at work. God has done such a great work and we ought to respond. And by responding, we ought to then have a big conversation about what it looks like. Let me be really clear here. God has a word for you. God has a word for me. God has a word for us about a life of flourishing, a life of joy, a life of gratitude, a life that is catalytic and empowering. And we have every reason to live this kind of life because of what Christ has done. Jesus Christ has stepped into this mess. Jesus Christ has done this because he loves you. And he has done this so that he can make all things new. And the response then for us is to be one of joy and gratitude and a willingness to tell this story and to take this big conversation out there into a broken and watching world. That is the opportunity we have as people transformed by this one who bled and died. That is the opportunity, that is our hope, and that is our responsibility. Now we need to remember where we've been we need to remember what God has done. We need to remember then and learn then how to live in light of that. And that's the big conversation to be had here these weeks. 
And to help us with this, my attention is drawn to an ancient book in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, a book that we likely haven't spent a whole lot of time in from the platform here. But we're going to these next few short weeks. The book of Deuteronomy is one gigantic sermon, primarily. You may not know this. It is the longest sermon in the Bible. It goes on for many, many, many chapters. Now, I'll spare you preaching that long today. But if you want a long sermon, read the book of Deuteronomy. I would encourage you to do so. The man Moses is with the people of Israel, and they're gathered there along the banks of the Jordan River. And they are just a stone's throw from the promised land to which God has taken them. Moses' days are numbered, and he knows this. And he is preparing to pass the leadership baton on to another. But just before he does that, he has a final word he wants to give to God's people, thus the sermon that we call Deuteronomy. And in this broad message, he is committed to reminding the people Here's where you've been. Here's how God has met you. And here's how we then live. Let me say it again. Here's where you've been. Here's how God has met you. Here's how we shall then live. Now what we're going to do, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks is we will process the how we shall then live part. Today, I want to focus on the where and the when. Where have we been? And, and uh, then when did or how did God meet us? Now, to do that, let me particularly draw your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and we're beginning in verse 5. And here is what Moses has to say to the people who are paying attention. And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation great, mighty, populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us. And laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders, and brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, as we listen to these few verses here, there are two invitations that are implied. Two invitations. 
Here's the first one. Remember the rescue. Remember the rescue. Now, what Moses is doing in presenting these few verses here in Deuteronomy 26 is he's reminding God's people of one of their forefathers, a patriarch named Jacob. Jacob was a deceitful cat. He lied to his family. He manipulated the circumstances around him for his own gain. But because of that, he had to like literally run for his life. And he went up into the far northeastern reaches of the land to what today we call Syria. Then it was known as Aram. And what he did was he lived in and then married into an Aramean community. That's why Moses says that our forefather was an Aramean. But he doesn't stop there. He qualifies it. He says that this forefather was a what? Wandering Aramean. And when we look at the word wandering, here's what we mean. This is a person who is lost. This is a person who lacks rootedness. This is a person who is not bound or who is unfettered. This is a person who is living a rather random and disoriented existence. And it can be spiritual and it can also be spatial or material. And this is certainly true for Jacob. He moved away from his home because of his own deceit and wandered way up to the northern, northeastern reaches trying to hide. And even there he is deceptive and manipulative as, by the way, are the people with whom he lives. And so there's a spiritual but also a spatial dimension to his wandering. And those who become his progeny have the same issue. His sons, when they become born, even the wives that he married, they also join him in being deceptive and manipulative, scrambling to make life work. And as the generations went on, those who come from him find themselves wandering even over to the land of Egypt. They're not in their home that God had assigned them. They're now in the land of Egypt, and they grow and become a great and populous group. The Hebrew people, the Israelites, broken because they were oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. So here you have the people of Israel. Their souls are broken. They are beaten down. They're oppressed. They're enslaved. They're desperately trying to figure out how to make life work. They are spiritually and spatially wanderers, bound, not, unfettered people who are rootless, living random and scrambling kinds of lives. Here's a question for you. Does this describe your spiritual journey? Does this at all describe your own life? Can you possibly say as you look back in your history that you too have been a wandering Aramean, rootless, random, spiritually and spatially disoriented, far from home, wondering what matters, 
wondering where there can be a good foundation, overcome with the brokenness of sin and shame, deceit, manipulation, all the things that we use, all the methods that we employ to try to make our lives work. Can any of you look back and go, yeah, that's me. That's me. And here's another question for you. Is that any of you today? Would you be willing to be that honest with yourself? You know, actually, pastor, yeah, that might be my past, but I'm a, I'm a little concerned it's my today. That could be who I am right now. Well, I want you to notice something here. We got to remember the rescue. For this is a story of that wandering Aramean and those who come from his uh, line And ultimately, it's our story as well, but notice what happens. They cried out to God, and you can too. The text tells us right here, Deuteronomy chapter 26, if we look there in verse 7, then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil, our oppression, and he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God has the power to rescue us. We have opportunity to cry out to him. And so if you're somebody and you're listening to these few words of Moses in that ancient sermon and you're thinking, well, you know, I might be a wandering Aramean as well, far from home, scrambling to make life work, desperately trying to employ coping mechanisms that are for my own welfare, but they keep falling apart, sin and shame and fear and discouragement rootless, boundless, unfettered, that's me, but I'm going to cry out to God and say, will you help me? Because apparently he likes to do that. That's what he's done here. They cried out and he came to the rescue. He came to the rescue. And if he'll do it then, he does it now. You see, you have to understand there has been a still greater rescue in Jesus Christ. A greater rescue in Jesus Christ, and so it is, and you'll see these lyrics on uh, the screen here in front of you. So it is. See in the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled and died for me. My Jesus set me free, and look at the wounds that gave me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. Amen, amen. This is the Jesus that has come into our mess. Just as he did then with the ancient Israelites, so he does now in greater power and fashion still. This is the Jesus that we have. And he has rescued. We need to remember the rescue. We need to remember it in those ancient days. And hear me, friends. We need to be people mindful right now. He has rescued me. Oh, Jesus has rescued me. We cry out to him, and he comes. And he rescues our broken and beaten and wandering souls and declares before his father, She's mine. He's mine. They're no longer lost, they're found. They're mine. My blood covers them. They're secure forevermore. Wanderers no more. We need to recall this. We need to remember this. We need to celebrate this. But there's more. Not only do we remember 
not only are we to remember the rescue, but we are to remember the reward. There's a reward, a prize that we need to take hold of, that we need to remember. And Moses talks about it with the ancient crowd, and the parallel for us is equally as powerful. Here's what Moses has to say. Look with me. Deuteronomy chapter 26 Verse 9, he brought us into this place, gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what God did was he rescued the Hebrew people from their oppression, from their slavery. They cried out to God, and God responded. And he rescued them. He led them out, and he brought them to the land of promise. He took them to the place that would be their home, a place of safety, a place of flourishing, a place where his goodness would be manifested, a place where, hear this, they could rest. But I want you to hear this, friends. Listen, this is so important. While that rest was for them, for sure, understand that in Christ we have a greater rest still. Did you hear that? In Christ we have a greater rest Still, as a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, he talks about Moses' successor, the leader that gains the baton from Moses, a man named Joshua. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. If Joshua had given them rest, which he did, he led them ultimately into the land after Moses died. If Joshua had given them rest, all right, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, he gave them some rest, but God knows there's a greater rest to be found. A greater rest is coming. If God, if Joshua brought them in and gave him rest, God knows another rest is coming. And you know who that rest is embodied within? The Lord Jesus Christ, who according to Matthew chapter 11 says this, come unto me. All who labor and are weary, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you shall have rest for your soul. In Christ, the greater rest has come. And so they can go into that land of milk and honey, and they can breathe for the first time in centuries. They're finally home. They're no longer wandering. But all it is is a foretaste of a greater home and a greater rest and a greater redemption in Jesus Christ. And we need to be a people that not only remember that kind of rescue, but remember the reward the reward, which is that greater rest, and oh, oh, listen, still more to these lyrics here. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Do you praise God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we need to be a people remembering the rescue and remembering the reward. Rest with the God who loves us the most, who's making all things new, power for now, purpose for later, a heaven awaiting us, a home beckoning us. I have to ask you a question. 
I need to ask and you need to answer. Is it possible that some of you listening to my voice right now, whether you're right here in this space or maybe you're online, is it possible some of you listening to my voice right now, you don't have a relationship, a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus? You're you're here, praise God. You're listening to my voice, praise God. You, you, You go to a Bible study, uh, you, you try to be an upstanding person. That's fantastic. Well and good. But do you know Jesus, the Savior? And I'm asking you right now, are you willing right now to call on to him? To cry out like the Hebrews of old did. God, we're oppressed. God, we're beaten down. God, we're not in our home. God, we're wandering. God, we're enslaved. Will you help us? Are you willing to cry out to him right now for such? And say, God of heaven, I am a sinner. I'm broken down. I'm beaten up. My shame and fear get the best of me. And I'm at the end of my rope. Are you willing to believe that Jesus is the one? He's the one who's done it. He's the one who's the Savior. God's provision for your salvation. Believe on him right now. And then cry out to him. Will you save me? Are you willing to do that right now? I'm telling you. There is no better time than right now. What would be so important in your life that right now you would not say, oh God, take me and make me yours and set me free for now and always. Oh Lord, may it be that if there is one or a few listening to my voice right now this moment in this room or online, or later in a podcast, or some other broadcast, may it be that this is the moment that she says, I need you, Jesus. You are the one that has done it through your cross, your death, your resurrection. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me now. This Jesus, he lived a sinless life. He was Betrayed by a friend, arrested by the authorities, tried unjustly in a court. He was tortured and crucified on a cross where he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead, alive. And he ascended into the heavenly realms where he intercedes and advocates for all who are his in faith. And one day he will return triumphantly in power and glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. And because of these things, sin, death, and the devil no longer have the final word. Because of these things, listen to me now, our shame gives way to honor. Our fear gives way to power. Our filth gives way to cleanliness. And our condemnation gives way to forgiveness. Oh, praise God, can we just give it up for him? He is worthy. He is worthy. As we head out here in a few minutes, two charges for you. Two charges for you. They're very simple, but oh, so very important. Number one, ask Jesus to help you. Give witness to what he has done for you. Ask Jesus to help you give witness to what he has done for you. 
When you look there in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, the first few words, it says this. Moses says, you shall make a response. Literally, that means be a witness or give a testimony. In the ancient tongue, that's the idea. It's as if Moses is saying, I need a witness. It's as if Moses is saying, let's give a testimony to what God has done. Moses is saying, make a response. And that's what I'm asking you to do. It's what I'm asking myself to do. I want to ask you to ask Jesus, Jesus, help me to be a witness for you. Show me where that might be. Give me clarity. Give me courage. Help me to share my story The story of where I've been, how you met me, and how you're making all things new in my life. Oh, let us be a people asking Jesus for the help. And here's the thing, friends. He wants to help. I said a moment ago that he's interceding for us right now next to his father. So imagine a big conversation there. Abba, Papa, Father. This woman right here is covered in my blood. And she's asking me right now for help so she can be a witness to this, the triune God of heaven and earth, Father, Son, and Spirit. She wants to be a witness to my work in her life. Would you, Father, give her that wisdom? Would you, Father, give her that power? That's the conversation in heaven right now. So ask Jesus to help you. Number two. Second thing, craft your creedal statement. Now, you may be saying, what? But understand this, friends. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 5 through 9, you notice a little bit of an odd set of verses. Make a response. My father was a wandering Aramean. What? And it goes on. And tells where they've been, how God met them, and the new thing he would do. That's a creedal statement. It is literally, a creedal statement means it is a statement of declaration about principle or faith. And it became, as it were, a song within the Hebrew culture. And even today during Passover, When our Jewish friends gather around table, they recite, my father was a wandering Aramean, and on and on it goes. So the question for you is, craft your creedal statement. Simple, maybe in a paragraph. Go home tonight and do this. Craft your creedal statement. Maybe a paragraph or two that just simply says, here's where I've been. Here's how God met me. And here's how I live now. Here's where I've been. Here's how God met me. And here's who I am today. Tell that story. Write it out. Ask Jesus to help you be a witness. And also, therefore, craft your own personal creedal statement. And let's talk about them. I'd love to read yours or hear yours. Would you let me? You can go to social media and you know, Matthew R. St. John, just send me a direct message or, 
or post it online and let's tag each other and let's share our creedal statements and let's practice this. We're going to talk more about this next week and in the weeks ahead. So there's some homework for you because after all, this is a conversation, not a one-sided argument. All right? So Father God, thank you. Thank you so much that you remembered where we were. Thank you so much that you met us there. You heard our cry. Thank you so much that new things come. And that in Christ we are alive. Oh God of heaven, may we be witnesses unto thee. To the world around us, watching closely. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. For the sake and glory of Christ. And a world desperately needing his love. And all God's people said.